want an informative podcast all about training working dogs, look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joanne Perrot, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week we're talking about the fact that training your dog isn't meant to be complicated. Joining me for this week's amazing podcast is LWDG Group expert Claire Denia. How are you Claire? I'm very well Jo, thank you. How are you? I'm very interested in getting into this topic because we see quite a lot within our community, um, a lot of terminology, a lot of confusion. It's um, it's a world full of like acronyms, abbreviations, ideas, and in it all can be very much a confusing space to learn. And we want to talk to you today about how we remove some of that confusion and get it back to being a simple process, as simple as possible. So before we start talking about how we don't make it complicated, why do you think there's so much terminology confusion at the moment? It's an absolute minefield out there. And first of all, there is so much access to stuff now you've got the internet you've got youtube you've got facebook groups you've got instagram and they're things that if you go back maybe i don't know i only joined facebook probably about embarrassingly probably 10 to 12 years ago <laughs> it, it wasn't you know a massive amount of time ago i don't remember exactly when it was but before I was on Facebook and before YouTube was a really big thing or I or I really started to acknowledge it, you really had to dig deep, read books, go on courses to learn about stuff. But now there's so much access to so much information, which on one hand is really, really good. Um, but on the other hand, when you've in the dog training community, and you know, Joe, I really hate labels. I'm a real stickler for I dislike labels. I just train dogs and people that I coach people and I train dogs. That's what I do. Um, but there are so many camps, let's say, um, with different beliefs and different ideals on training dogs. So they're throwing, they're all throwing out a lot of terminology and a lot of training methods and you know, a lot of words that your average dog owner probably hasn't got any idea what those things mean. And some of them actually mean multiple things. So we can touch on that today. But some of them actually do mean multiple things, depending on who you're speaking to. So it's no wonder that people have got confused about how to train their dog. I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, I've been on Facebook probably, oh my God, Probably the same length as you, if not, but I think 2008, if I go back to my profile pictures with my first dodgy profile picture. Um, but like you said, when you first started, you would just like seeing what your friends had did and things like that. And literally over the last sort of decade, 15 years, whatever it is, decade, I think is enough to say. Um, there is this explosion of information and it can be so overwhelming it can be paralyzing can't it 
Yeah, it is. It can be very overwhelming and it can be very difficult for your... It can be difficult for dog trainers to agree on it, let alone dog owners to understand it. You know, if we just briefly touch on, for instance, you know, the four quadrants, we're not going to really talk about them today. But if you look at just the terminology of positive, some trainers use the term positive to mean being rewarding and being very good and you know nothing negative whereas in the definition definition of the quadrants positive means to add something so that could be adding something positive or negative so how does if your dog trainers are talking and using terminology that could technically mean two things no wonder that the community of dog owners is getting confused by that kind of thing I have probably had the quadrant um, explained to me many times. And it's one of those things that I find. One minute I go, oh, I get it. I got it. Sussed. And then a month or two later, somebody mentions it. And I'm like, oh, what is it again? But like you said, when we're talking about not making our dog training complicated, how much of the quadrants does a dog owner actually even need to know? They need to know them all. And actually, okay, so this is taboo, but in my opinion, as a dog trainer who works with every dog individually, you can't use one without the other. In some way, shape or form, you're using all four of them. However, you might heavily use one much more than the other. But, and this is again where this terminology is so complicated because you've got people that say they only use positive methods well is that adding something that will decrease the behavior or is that adding something that will increase a behavior it could be either but a lot of them when they say positive trainer just mean i only do good things i only do nice things but that's not the real scientific definition of it so <laughs> but really if you think about management when you manage a dog on a lead or a long line you can't possibly not use all four quadrants when you're doing that kind of thing. It's impossible. But obviously, we're not doing a podcast on the quadrants. <laughs> but but it's just explaining why this is so why this is so complicated for the owner to understand because the what the terminology and the words get thrown around a lot without people really understanding or they may be using it in a different way and people don't know that i think you're absolutely right there's like like you said there isn't about the quadrants but we've got to start there because i think a lot of the terminology is somewhere loosely based on a dog trainer's knowledge and not just so much a dog trainer's knowledge of the quadrants but when like you said when you talk about a positive only trainer or a positive trainer and I don't mean this in a in a derogatory way at all. I mean, you know, I love you all dearly. But in most pet owners with their first eight week or twelve week old puppy, you basically are saying, "I'm the tooth fairy trainer. I'm nice. I'm always going to be nice to you. I'm always going to be nice to your mm. dog." And that's like how we perceive it. And I do say we because I class myself as somebody who is still very much learning. So when you then look at all the other things and all your other conversations because i do think as well when you bring social media into it not only are you battling as an owner with all the concepts and ideas but you also see very 
in-depth conversations amongst trainers put out on social media platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Me with my uh, 12 week old puppy start reading your business page or your personal page. And then the concepts are going on and the conversation going on is very much a uh, professional development level conversation. And I'm like, oh my God, I just thought I needed to teach Blodwin Buer how to sit and come back when I called him. And that's the, that's, the, that's the risk or that's the downside of there being so much information out there. So when I have a conversation with a fellow dog trainer or let's say I'm on a course and I'm, I'm talking to another trainer, I might use a lot more of that terminology because I know I'm talking to somebody who understands that tom- terminology with me. If I'm talking to an owner, I will speak without using that terminology to make it. And that's what I kind of want to talk about today is actually how to get an owner to read and understand the dog without having to worry about all that terminology. Because it's great if they want to learn it, we can teach them it and we will teach them it. But not not many owners really want to understand the scientific terminology that they're using to train their dog. They just want to train their dog. You know, that's what they want. <laughs> and then you can be this sort of thing. Like I've I've definitely been through it on my journey, where uh, my husband would call it because he's outdoor instructor, all the gear, no idea, right? And like laugh about it. And the fact that I I probably know quite a lot of theory from the work with the we do. But my practice of that theory is nowhere near. So I can probably tell you the theory now around something. And that's because of the amount of information I've, I've taken in through what we do in the LWDG. Very much that doesn't make it to a practical level on the field, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So then yeah. there's this, like, this, this break of my head has got all this information. And I'm like, well, I should be doing this and I shouldn't be doing that. And I should be doing this and I shouldn't be doing that. And I do need to do that. And I mustn't do that. And all this thing. And then I get outside and I, I, I'm I doing something with Ella or Rex. And I'm like, oh, that's so much stuff to think about. I can't even But when you're anything. doing it, when you're in that situation, Joe, I bet you're not standing there going, now, is this a primary reinforcer or is this a secondary reinforcer? Am I using classical conditioning or are I using operant conditioning? Am I using positive reinforcement or am I using negative punishment? There's just no way an owner is going to stand in the middle of a field and train their dog and think like that. So it's actually not beneficial for the owner if the trainer talks to them in that terminology because it goes over the head and actually what the train well for me my role is to help the owner understand their dog the process of how their dog learns when to get that how to get their timing right so when to interrupt a behavior how to lure how to teach the dog something new and how to proof that training and what to do when it goes wrong so I'm not going to stand there going well now you're going to use operant conditioning because the owner's not going to go home and retain that information and probably doesn't want to know they just want to know how to get their dog to walk on a loose lead or how to get the dog to recall back from a distraction or how to do a nice retrieve so let's make this real for owners let's let's educate owners on how they can understand their dog and learn how the dog learns it's a little bit like learning to drive isn't it when you're learning to drive you don't need to know how the engine is working you just need to know how to drive 
yeah. once you've got a, a, the basics of that and you know you understand that enough that it's a little bit of a, a natural behavior for you to go through those things then you can find out you know well when i move the gear stick what's actually happening in the gearbox yeah. because you, you're building up your levels of knowledge yes absolutely that yeah absolutely so yes and, and what usually happens is as the owner understands more they want to learn more as they achieve more their goals might become greater they might start to move their own their own goalposts on what they want to achieve with their dog and to do that they will have to learn more and that's basically how it happens isn't it but there's no point me standing on the field with a first-time dog owner and spouting all this terminology that they don't understand or perhaps they've misinterpreted it on youtube or they've heard somebody else talk about it on a facebook group and they're standing there thinking i just don't get it so let's make this as simple for owners to understand as we possibly can. Because if we keep it simple, we keep it fun. And I think fun is a very much an important part of everything. And I don't mean fun in like, woo, we're in Disney, let's go mad. I mean, yeah. just enjoyment of what you're doing because for most of us, even for, I think even for trainers when it's a professional thing, most of us go out and train our dogs for enjoyment. And if there is yeah. no enjoyment in it, you're never going to do an incredible job of training anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Set your goals depending on your level of experience and your ability. And as your experience and ability grow, increase your goals. You know, it's that simple. I mean, so if I take a really, really simple one, and, and this question comes up a lot on the Ladies Working Dog Group, society um our membership page so it's a little bit of an example that i'm going to use about how people can start to think about what their dogs are learning so if we if we always try and keep in mind that our dogs learn um, that a behavior that they're occurring brings about an outcome or an or a consequence so a reward or a consequence you know a consequence can be good or bad um, but it needs to be within a very short amount of time, you know, it's why we have to be very careful about our timing when rewarding the dog, because you don't want to inadvertently be rewarding the dog for a behavior you don't want. Um, so for an example, let's just say that your dog whines for attention, okay? And you give the dog attention within a couple of seconds of the dog whining or, or pouring at you, let's say. Um, without a doubt, most people, when they actually thought about it, would go, oh, yeah, I just rewarded that behavior. You know, the dog whined, the dog poured at me for attention. I turned around and OK, you might not have given it good attention. Maybe you touched the dog and said, no, not yet. But the dog doesn't understand. No, not yet. So as far as the dog's concerned, you've just rewarded that behavior. I wanted your attention. You gave me that attention. So if then if you take on that, that the dog whines for attention and then the dog doesn't receive that attention and is quiet for a period of time, let's just say for argument's sake, a couple of seconds, okay? Uh, no, sorry, a couple of minutes. And then you go over to the dog and you give them attention. Some people might say that you 
have rewarded the dog for being quiet in that moment. But what you're rewarding the dog for is whatever they're doing in that moment. So the dog might not necessarily understand that it was that you've said be, that you've not given attention and you wanted them to stop whining, but it might be the dog settles on the bed and you walk over to the dog and reward the dog there. Yes, they weren't whining. But the dog will perceive that they've been rewarded for whatever they're doing in that moment. They might not necessarily see it as, oh, I stopped whining, but they were settled on the bed. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think while we're talking about your know, patterns of behavior they're probably yeah. the one thing an owner does need to grasp the concept of because a lot of of our training is around this one fundamental concept which is dog does something you do something dog learns whether to to repeat it's, it's correct that. yeah patterns of behavior are exactly how dogs learn the pattern that they go through, the, the pattern of behaviours that they go through in that moment will bring about a consequence, either good or bad. And that is how the dog will learn a pattern of behaviour. And to go back to our driving lesson thing, it's that how we learn, isn't it? It's a pattern of behaviour. Well, if I don't push, push the clutch down, I'm not going to get the right gear. My, I'm probably going to stall, feel like an idiot. If I do it correctly, I change the air, there is no consequence of that other than I get to where I want to go and I feel better because I've done it correctly. So when we're trying to train a dog, I think we tend to, and it goes back to overcomplicating it, we, we make it more than it needs to be. They actually learn very much in the same way we learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why we say to people all the time, people say, um, how long should your training sessions be? How long, how often should I train my dog for? Um, all of that is really about training a technique or a skill set. But people have to, owners have to remember that you are teaching your dog with every interaction. They're learning continually through life. So when it comes to training a specific task, let's say a retrieve, or a stop whistle yes they might be staged training sessions to train that specific um skill set i'm going to call it a skill set whereas training behavior is happening all the time so the dog is basically forming patterns of behavior through everyday life um very often the owners only think that their dog is learning during that training session, but they are learning with every single interaction they have with you and the outcome of that interaction. And those behaviour patterns they're learning can very quickly leak into your actual training session. Does that make sense? That wasn't too complicated. No, it's absolutely fine. So we, if we talk about it again, it may be a way we understand as humans, uh, a, an event will make us have a thought, which makes us have mm -hmm. an action, which makes us have a consequence. And if we keep doing that same pattern, the same event, same thought, yeah. same action, same consequence, it becomes embedded in our behavior, like cleaning our teeth. So with our dogs, we are saying, even the simplest things, like how you respond, 
to them not listening in the house yeah is the way they're going to respond to not listening out of the house you've you've created a pattern of how they behave when you do something absolutely so recall we'll, we'll stick on that because you've just brought it up so we'll keep it there for a second so um, I say to clients very often, when, when I get contacted about recall problems, it's usually when something quite serious has happened. So it's usually the dog has perhaps run across the park and jumped up somebody or the dog has run out of the house and crossed the road. And it could have, you know, that could have been life threatening for the dog. Um, usually when you get that contact, it's when something very specific or dramatic has happened. But actually, the recall breakdown has been happening for a long time. And it isn't at all that the dog doesn't understand the recall. It's that the dog has learned through behaviours in the house, in the garden, that it can ignore what you're asking it to do. Well, you're not asking. Recall, you know, is a recall. Um, But the dog has learned through other things that are happening in day to day life interactions that actually your recall doesn't mean anything at all. Because in the house, you might put, let's just say, for instance, your dog's in the garden and you go to the back door and you call it and the dog decides, well, I'm busy having a sniff up here. Thank you very much. I don't think I'm going to come back on that recall. And you're busy doing something else in the kitchen. So instead of doing something about that and stopping the dog starting to form a new behavior pattern instead of going out there and getting the dog and bringing them in or getting close enough to get the dog's attention and make sure they follow through with the recall the owner thinks I haven't got time for this right now so they go back in the kitchen and finish what they're doing and then the dog comes wandering in in its own time and the owner goes oh good boy well done gets a cookie out the jar rewards the dog the pattern of behavior that dog is then learning is when you recall me, it's optional until I want to come back and I can continue to do my own thing until I want to come back. And when I do eventually come back, I'm going to be rewarded anyway. So there's then no incentive for the dog to recall immediately when asked to, because the dog's learned through behaviors that have been happened prior to these big events or, you know, big situations that they can ignore the recall. And for us in our quest to keep it simple, if we can understand patterns of behavior and just that concept whilst we teach the dog all the other skills, we we know enough, enough like learning uh, to drive a car, enough just to get the basics in don't we we can learn all the other stuff and and we can frilly it up as much as we want further down the line but just understanding even from a a tiny puppy when you take it out to the toilet where it pees you know all these things even like every time it goes to the toilet saying toilet it doesn't take the dog long to learn toilet means i empty my bladder you know it's those little things and we just don't think about them enough we just instead of thinking about our interactions we just get built up into these listening to or watching things on social media and then getting lost in oh what is it I'm doing let's go into learning theory let's go into this let's yeah. go that and then we forgot what the dog's doing in the house because we're too busy thinking of a million other things exactly I mean and this is why it's such a minefield and this is why this is such an important topic because 
life is busy for everybody and I think fitting fitting technical training sessions into everyday life can be a massive challenge but if most owners kept it at the front of their mind that their dog is learning continually they'd realize they maybe don't need to have these big long enduring training sessions out on the field they don't have to fit such big sessions into everyday life because the dog is learning all the time so make sure that you're what your dog is learning in the house around the home in between sessions is supporting the training that you're doing not doing it a disfavor because let's bear in mind you know if a dog finds something rewarding whether the reward has come from us or whether the reward has come from the environment the dog will do more of that behavior we know that that's how the dogs learn um and it's how we create a dog that repeats behave them behaviors is because of the reward but if the dog is making big mistakes and the environment is rewarding them this massively goes against what we want I think if you look at jumping up as another example, and um, I think we may have said this on another masterclass or podcast at some point, so I may be slightly repeating myself, but jumping up is one of the most common things that people struggle with. And it usually has started when the puppy is tiny, eight, nine weeks old, and visitors come round, and they encourage the puppy to climb up their legs for attention. And then they wonder why dogs find it so rewarding to jump up people when they're, I think of a Labrador that hits like 30 odd kilos, you know, and all of a sudden it's got muddy paws. It's not so, it's not so um, nice for the person to have that size dog climbing up them with muddy paws as this nine week old puppy climbing up their legs for attention. But the dog was taught by our behavior very early on pattern of behavior to get attention climb up your legs so then it becomes jumping and a lot of people will read on the internet so going back to that internet and all this information stuff a lot of people will read things on the internet or listen to things where it says just ignore the bad behavior turn your back on the dog when it's jumping up you at no point are you communicating to the dog that that jumping up behavior is not acceptable ideally your dog wouldn't have learned it but let's just say it has and it's doing it a lot of people turn their back and then the dog goes oh and it will try another trick in the book, which might be sitting. Okay, a lot of people teach their dogs sit for a treat. So the dog might have jumped up you, you might have turned around, the dog thinks, oh, I'll sit, and then the owner gets a treat out. The owner might think that they've just taught the dog, don't jump up me, sit for the treat. However, the dog might have interpreted that as, I want your attention, the last time I needed your attention, I jumped up you, you turned around, I sat my bum on the floor and you gave me a treat. There's a pattern of behavior. The dog believes or could believe those patterns are all linked. Those behaviors are all together that got the end result. So at no point are we telling the dog, no, you can't do that piece. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah, and for us as um, dog trainers, because I, I think we chatted about this the other day, Everyone's got a dog, is a dog trainer, whether they're a professional dog trainer or, or yeah. just a, a, a owner slash dog trainer. You are all dog trainers. Yeah. That understanding that when you are rewarding is essentially critical mm -hmm. to the dog's 
have to end because even you know you can talk about this more than I understand it but dogs patterns of behaviors will cross from one exercise to another one day so I I see it sometimes like if a dog hears something rustle in your pocket it will go through a lot of behaviors that he knows will get that food out so it might be coming back on a on a recall on a recall or on a retrieve and I usually the rustle just before you know you've gone sit and they're like oh oh I'm sitting I'm dropping it I, I this is a sit reward you know it'll try anything to yeah. get a reward yeah so if you're not consistent in your approach to this behavior and the pattern you're going to cause confusion for you and the dog Yes, absolutely. And I think the other thing to be mindful of as well is by creating patterns in everyday life and also in training with the dog, you can really mould your dog's behaviour into what you want it to be. However, part of that is your part in that pattern. So, for instance, having consistent body language, being consistent with commands, being consistent with the timing of the reward, being consistent with interrupting a behaviour that you don't want. They're all part of it. It's not just about the dog's pattern of behaviour. It's also our part and our pattern of behaviour in making sure the dog is learning the right thing. But we can use um, patterns of behaviour to help fearful and anxious dogs feel more confident because if dogs understand the process and they understand what they need to do to get to the end result then that can be very confidence building for an anxious or more nervous dog and you can also change how a dog potentially feels about something through forming patterns of behaviour. That could be something in the environment. It could be how it feels about seeing other people or other dogs. Um, so you can actually use patterns of behaviour and teach the dog to do things which will change how the dog views other things in life as well. So to start sort of wrapping the podcast out, we talked obviously about as needing not at the right at the beginning to and to have all this terminology as professional dog trainers trying not to introduce all this terminology at the beginning but keeping it simple yeah. so that the owner knows how to put in place boundaries knows yeah. about consistency you know as as a a person not a dog owner or dog trainer as a person i can understand if you are talking to me about clear boundaries I understand from my understanding of English what that means. I understand what um, consistency means. I understand what patterns of behavior mean. I understand yeah. what calm means. I understand what patience means. I know what praise means. You know, if you were talking to me with that type of terminology, I already know that terminology from life itself, from, from yeah. being a learner in life myself. So that type of term, not terminology being used by uh, trainer, professional trainer, and by a owner, mm. it takes away all the confusion at that level so they can be better at teaching their own dogs. Absolutely. And I think the important thing to remember, and, the, and this is the real key for me, for building patterns, patterns of behaviour to maybe help with behaviour modification or to train a skill set or to teach the dog the right way to behave. Don't ignore the bad behaviour or unwanted behaviour 
The dog has to have it communicated via some form of interruption or even a punishment. And of course, everybody knows when we say punishment, we don't mean abusive. We don't mean harsh. We don't mean cruel. We don't mean anything that will inflict pain on the dog. But the dog has to know which part is not part of the desired pattern of behavior. But we then have to put the effort into changing the dog's mindset and building the appropriate patterns of behavior that we want the dog to have. And so we can't just ignore the dog jumping up and wait for it to sit and reward it because the dog will think that's part of the pattern. We have to say to the dog, it could be a verbal interrupter. You could say, ah, ah very firmly give the dog, you know, dogs can read our, um, and this is a whole nother podcast, dogs can read our body language, our facial expressions, even the way, um, our gaze, the way we look, um, very easy. So we don't have to be really mean and really growly with the dog. You could just say, ah, and the dog will be like, oh, you don't want that. Everything about the way we look will tell the dog that wasn't part of the behavior pattern that I want. And then we teach them the piece we do want so that we're then able to reward them. If you think about it, like every time I we say the word punishment, um, mm. I, I'm never scared of it. I'm glad we use the word punishment. I'm glad we're not scared as an organization to use the word punishment because I think that that is causing potentially half, if not more, of the issues we see in the general population with dogs. They think they can't yes. punish the dog. Yes. But that punishment you just said, like, uh uh, go back to our driving lesson. Our car's stolen. Is our car's, uh uh, that was yeah. wrong? <laughs> yeah. That's so know. true. Nobody went, oh my God, end of the world. The car gave me a feedback that I was doing that in completely incorrectly. So we can't be scared to say, uh uh, and just say, like you said, that bit's not what we wanted. Yeah. That bit, that bit is, let's keep going. Let's so, do that. Yeah. Do you think if all, you know, tell me what you want people to take from this. So they listen to us and they're like, oh yeah, I agree with this. I, I understand this. Yes, you, you're talking my type of way. I know what you're on about. What do you want them to take from it? Okay. I, what I'm hoping people will take from this is that they will, if their dog is displaying an unwanted behavior or um, or you're trying to teach your dog a new skill set, what I'm hoping people will take from this is they need to be able to read everything that's happening in the build up to the, the dog getting the reward. OK, um, and is that pattern all desirable? If not, it's breaking that cycle. You've got to break that cycle through interruption or correction or punishment or whatever you want to call it. You know, um, like you, Joe, I have no problem with using the word punishment, um, but I understand that some people don't like that word. That's okay. But what I want people to take away from this is you have to break that chain to change behavior. You have to break that. You have to teach the dog a new pattern of behavior without that piece in it for the dog to really make change to the dog. If you think about the retrieve, the retrieve is made up of several components. It's not just 
one thing. It's the dog sitting in the heel position, being sent on the retrieve, running in a straight line, picking that dummy, turning, returning, delivering to hand, and then coming back into the heel position. Yeah, that's just it in fast motion. That's so many. But at some point, if the dog in that moment does something that we don't want as part of the retrieve. So let's just say, the do- okay, this, this is exactly how to explain it, I think. So the dog's sent on the retrieve. They go to pick the dummy up. They get distracted by something on the right-hand side. They decide to disregard the dummy, run to the right-hand side to go and sniff on something, wee on something. Um, at that point, you have to communicate that to that dog. That's not what we want, okay? Because otherwise what will happen is, the dog might, if we're lucky, come back, remember the dummy, pick the dummy, come back, and they take the dummy and reward the dog. And if the dog wasn't told at some point that that piece in the middle isn't part of it, the dog may believe that's part of the retrieve. Does that make sense? Does that help me explain how I would like owners to start thinking about what their dog's learning? Absolutely. So we are saying to our listeners, Think about the pattern, think about what you communicate to the dog through yeah. your behavior. But in all that, if you understand terminology, great. But if you don't understand terminology, also no. great. You don't need it just right just now. You just need to know what it looks like correctly, what it doesn't look yeah. like correctly, and how to tell the dog that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we just made that sound far more simpler than it is because I know <laughs> what, what I can't for people to be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important for people to be successful. We need to make this as simple for them to follow, and then yeah, once your understanding is growing, yes, of course, learn the terminology, learn all of the you know different words that we use and the way dogs and all this, but. Just in the beginning, just think about setting your dog up for success, trying to stop your dog repeating unwanted behaviours, letting the dog know what's unwanted and building a pattern of behaviour that gives you the end result you want. Fantastic. I think if you look at the way we teach um, new members, they come in, we say start with a Hartmouth handler, understand the skill set. Then, you know, go through the other 50 odd at whatever level you feel you are and learn all the rest. You know, this month we're talking about dog communication, learn that. But first of all, get that hot mess handler commands within it nailed in your head. Because a lot of what we do when we train our dogs, people say, oh, I go to a dog trainer. You don't go to a dog trainer. You go to a human trainer to train you to train your dog. It's very much an understanding that you are the you are the linchpin as the owner in this, in that you need to understand what it looks like, what that skill needs from you before you try to expect it from the dog. Yeah, absolutely. And also, if something isn't working, change it. I say this all the time, Joe. you must get bored of me saying that one, but, you know, a, a good trainer... If, you, if, you, if something isn't working for you or for your dog and your trainer has advised it and it's not working, go back to your trainer and say, this isn't working, I don't know why. Give your trainer the opportunity to then 
Say, okay, let's try something different with your dog to get the right message across. Don't be afraid to do that. Absolutely. Thank you very much. As always, an amazing podcast. I'm sure everybody's going to love it. Please let us know in your comments, hashtag LWDGPoddog in your social media posts. Let us know what you think. Uh, we are always open to, to listening to you and actually love listening to you. Um, for those of you who are members, please go make sure if you haven't been and done the Hot Mess Handler already, go do it. It is really, really important. It's a great place to start. It also fill you with confidence before you start developing the further knowledge at uh, the further levels of your knowledge and training. Thank you very much for another incredible podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Poddog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we will show you how to use short, 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com.